0: Last week, I mentioned that the average person has fifty thousand thoughts a day. Um, that that's staggering to me, um, kind of amazing. Um, I actually tried to I started trying to count them this week. I was I was thinking about this. And I thought, but then that that defeats the purpose entirely because you're focusing on count anyway. Um, since this is the case. It's really important that we dwell on the good stuff. So today, we're going to look at the impact our self-image has on our enjoyment and productivity. Because what we think and feel about ourselves has an impact on how much we enjoy life and how much we're able to accomplish in it. I confess many of my 50,000 thoughts a day are about me <laughs> and I, I tend to, you know, focus on how I'm coming across. What are people thinking about me? And, and I'm guessing it's the same with you. This is this is the way uh, we we are. We We've all been born with a deep desire to feel good about ourselves and to be valued by the people around us. These are two very deep needs that we find inside of us. And out out of the options available to feel good about ourselves or to feel bad or to have others value and honor me or not to value and honor me, I mean, those are... That seems normal, doesn't it? I mean, that that's the way it goes. Um, Gaining these two things... How we seek to get these things, self-respect, we'll say, to feel good about ourselves and to be valued by others, is important. How we go about that, gaining them the right way, brings a deep joy. It it gives a lot of help to, to live in life. But the drive for these things can easily take us down the wrong path. Easily. This morning, I'm going to look at how to deal with thoughts about ourselves that tend to drag us through the mud. You ever have those? <laughs> hey, I, I've I've had those. I mean, there's like a pull, like gravity, in my mind sometimes, just to drag me into the mud. Um, for example. I deal with thoughts of self-condemnation. I don't know about you. But we deal with these. They're destructive. That's a horrible thing to think. Or to say. Or to do. You're disgusting. You ever had that, a thought like that? I mean, something similar? And you feel like a worm. This is disgusting. This is a picture of worms. That's, that's, it's disgusting. It's, it's, it's horrible to feel like that about yourself. If you're a Christ follower, add in this thought. No Christian should ever think like that. You must, you must not be a Christian. But I'll, I'll just say I've, 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 I've felt that. I've thought that. Uh, we also have thoughts of insignificance. Nobody really cares about what I'm going through. Nobody really understands me this particular situation that I'm facing, they don't really get it. You're, you're really on your own in life and your thoughts can begin to isolate you. It's easy to feel small to the rest of the world when you begin to compare yourself to others. Very easy to feel small. I'm not nearly as fill in your own blank. As they are, you ever had a thought like that? I'm not nearly as popular, powerful, smart, good-looking. I gave up on that talent contest a long time ago. No beauty contest for me. Um, so we have these thoughts. They they sort of drive our image of ourselves. Uh, we also have thoughts of incompetence. Can I really do? this thing I need to do? Say parenting. Can I can I do make this marriage work? Can I accomplish the task that I have on my plate at work? Can I make it through school? Can I do this ministry that God's placed on on my plate? He's put on my plate. feelings of incompetence can give way to disappointment in myself. You haven't even met your own expectations. <laughs> how can you do, how could you deal with that? Why did you say that? Why did you do that? Can't you get it together? People pleasing is another battle. We ask questions like, what will they think? Or what do they think? What, what if I say no to what they want me to do? Will, will we still be friends? If they see who I really am, will we still be friends? Will they get mad? I wish I I could just say no. I've been guilty of trying to read the minds of people around me, which is impossible. And I fill in the gaps. They, They don't seem to think I'm capable of doing this. Because of the way they're treating me, they're sort of sliding me. And they don't really think I can pull this off, do they? I'm, I'm reading between the lines. That, that ain't right. And, and they haven't really said anything. The other people they haven't said anything, but you're just trying to do the impossible and read their mind. Here's the thing: A defective self-image can put a, a false ceiling on God's work in and through me. Gaining a strong self-image is pivotal to having an enjoyable and productive life. The kinds of thoughts I just walked through and the emotions tied to them, they flow from the usual approach to self-esteem, to feeling good about ourselves. In this approach, it's almost impossible to be real with ourselves. Because we have to keep pumping ourselves up. Constantly, The usual approach makes us afraid to get real because we might be rejected by God or the people around me. So we, we avoid getting real with ourselves. Here's the usual path to feeling good about myself. And the path I'm going to talk about makes sense to us because it's the accepted path in our culture. This is the way we normally do this. This is the way we normally aim to feel good about ourselves. Here it is. Feel good about myself. I must discover what is valued by the people around me. I compare myself to them. So I, this is what they value. This is what's important to them. I'm comparing myself to them. And then if I fall short, I try to get more of whatever is valued. That's the normal approach. That's the usual approach to feeling good about ourselves. First of all, let's look at discover what is valued. Usually we have a group that we're trying to impress. Um, The group has a set of values, things that are important to them, their definition of cool is high on the list usually, smarts, influence, beauty, athleticism, artistic sensibilities. The list can go on and on, but our list tend to involve three categories, sexual potential, work potential, and then power and influence, power related to influence. So I discover what's valued, what's important to this group that I want to be a part of, and then I compare myself to the others in the group to determine my value. When deciding our self-worth, we, we look at the group we're a part of, or want to be a part of, we're trying to get into, and we see how we're doing. Where do I rank in this family? How do I compare? <laughs> where do I fall? In this group of friends, where am I? How about at work? Am I number one? <laughs> number two? Well, you probably know you're not number one, if you're not number one. (laughs) At work, it's pretty clear. I mean, it's obvious, Captain Obvious here. Um, Whenever I don't measure up in sexual or work potential and power and influence, I'm stuck. So I strive to increase my value by getting more of whatever the group thinks is important. I do whatever it takes to measure up to the external standards of value set by the others around me. And so round and round we go like a hamster on a wheel. Check out these two little hamsters. Watch what they do, what happens at the end. Just like great video. I mean, they're cute. They're fighting for the wheel. They both want to get on the wheel. And then finally, the one guy gets kicked. I don't know if it's guy or gal. The hamster gets kicked off the wheel and walks away. That's what we need to do. We need to walk away from the usual approach to gaining self-esteem, to feeling good about ourselves. There's good news. There is another path. There is another way that puts our self-image on a solid foundation. How do I get off the hamster wheel of the usual approach to self-esteem puts me on? Here it is. My real value is set by the one who made me. More and more in our country, we're moving toward an understanding of the origin of people that says we're the result of an impersonal process called evolution. In this view, human beings aren't anything special. We're just the latest model that has been formed by the cosmic machine due to the survival of the fittest, and we're actually machines. An impersonal process produces an impersonal product. When you start here, what gives you value? It's, it's relative. You, you have to gain value in comparison to the people around you. That's how you get it. That's how you have it. Think about this for a moment. Do you feel like a machine? The design of the human body is very unlikely, extremely unlikely, to happen by chance, which is honestly an understatement. (laughs) I mean, that's a total understatement. The chemicals in our bodies, if we're just machines, the chemicals in our bodies are worth about $550,000 on the market, but... It doesn't make any sense to sell our body parts because then we don't exist anymore. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of crazy. Sorry, I'm even talking about this. That's kind of nuts. But what, what would you feel if you... Does it make sense to you that you're going to not exist at a point? Does that, does that really make sense? Scripture says that God made us. This is, this is a contrasting approach from the usual approach to self-esteem, to feeling good about ourselves. God made us, and he built eternity. He put eternity in our hearts, it says, in Scripture, in the Bible. And this gives us a great deal of value. He, he gives us a solid foundation for our self-image, and so let's answer the question: What, what, who does God say we are? First of all, God says we're made by Him in His image. The God of the universe Himself gives us a high value in all of creation. He He doesn't set our value by the standards in the world, by the usual approach. Proverbs twenty-two two. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. He he, he's, he values the rich person and the poor person. The one who has all the stuff and the one who has nothing. Just the same. God's the maker of them all. God made us in his image or likeness. James 3, 9 and 10 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men. Who have been made in God's likeness out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. We're made in God's image. We are not just a higher form of animal. This is what scripture says. We are created to reflect him. We're, we're a, a, a mirror image of God. Um, out of all creation, God made people to be like himself. And here are a few ways we're like God. We're thinkers. God is a thinker. We can communicate with God and with each other, but we can communicate complex ideas and emotions. We can put our emotions, our instincts, into thought, into ideas. We can communicate those things. We are workers. God is a worker. We're like God in these ways. Being made in God's image gives us tremendous value. But before we can understand our real value before God, we have to face the truth about ourselves. We're a mess. This passage says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men. So out of, we're speaking out of both sides of our mouths as we relate to the people around us. We should never curse any person God has made because of the dignity they possess of being made in God's image. Notice this statement, out of, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. This should not be, but this is, this is how we are. People are a mix of nobility and cruelty. We're a mixture of these things. We became a mix. When the first man and the first woman decided to rebel against God and God made the first couple, he put them on the earth and he gave them some boundaries. And what the first man and woman decided was they're just going to bust through the boundaries. They're not going to do what God said. They're just going to try to live independently of him, try to find satisfaction and other things, not God himself, not his way, not going to do life his way. And what that means is we have to take the usual approach to feeling good about ourselves. that That's what it means. And because the first couple did that, every person after them have done the same thing. We've tried to find life away from God, outside, independent of who... He has made us to be. We better grasp our value by looking at God's response to this rebellion. We are loved in spite of our rebellion. That's what we see in scripture. Romans 5, 8, one of my favorite passages, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet walking away from him, while we were trying to live life independent of him, busting through all the boundaries that he set up, he demonstrates his love for us by dying on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ for us. We are loved by God. Nothing else in creation Reflects him quite like we humans do. And our value is derived from the God who made us. But he's added to our value by demonstrating this tremendous great love for us by dying on the cross. Romans eight fifteen through 17 says... For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We just sung a a song that had some of these words in it. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. We, we've been adopted. Because, because we decided to rebel and go our own way and try to live life independent of God, out bust through his boundaries, that disconnected us from him. So he had to adopt us back. Those of us who choose to turn around from going our own way and decide to go God's way, he adopts us back into his family. He's made a way. For us to experience his love and kindness. So everyone who turns from going their own way, from living life independent of the God who made them, is adopted by him and becomes his child. I've attended one adoption proceeding in, in my lifetime. Uh, it was in a courtroom. And it was very meaningful. I mean I don't know what I expected when I got up that morning and decided to go to the proceeding with somebody very close to to us. And um, I I I just I don't know, I don't know what I expected. But what it ended up happening was the judge at a certain point declared from this day forward this little baby is going to be known as by this name. That's exactly what happens when we decide to follow Christ. When we turn around from going our own way and give our life to follow Christ, from that day forward, we bear a different name. And that name makes All of the difference in our lives and eternity. From there, from there forward, we bear the name of Jesus Christ. We're His. We're Christians or Christ followers, and that makes a tremendous difference in our value, understanding our value, and in. The amount of joy we can find in life and the purpose we live for and the productivity that comes as we live so we are loved in spite of our rebellion and we we have a high spiritual position now follow me on this because we have this high position in Christ but for me I keep getting drugged down into the mud and I have to I have to have a way to fight that. I have to way to get back into the position that God has given me because of those thoughts that tend to, you know, no Christian would ever think anything like that. Nobody would ever do that. What are you thinking? Ah. So here it is. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Here's the flow of the story here. In the created order on earth, we are number one, a very high position. But we fell. When we sinned or when we rebel our dignity remains, but it's mixed, it's marred. Our nobility is marred. Now we're a mix of nobility and cruelty. Since the fall, we have a very cloudy view of ourselves as people. We're disconnected from God, so we have to look for other places and take the usual path to feeling good about ourselves. When we admit our rebellion. And yield to follow Christ. We're given a high spiritual position. Once again. Here's why. Ephesians 2.7. In order that in the coming ages. He might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness. To us in Christ Jesus. That word Show. In this passage, it means to put on display like a trophy. We're, we're trophies of the grace of God, his kindness to us. That's the purpose for which we live. And so in the way that we relate to the people around us, in our minds, we need to keep fighting to take the position that God's given us. Because in it, we bring honor and glory to him. In Christ, we have a high value and purpose, and it's to display the riches of God's grace to the world around us. Let's turn to some specifics on how to build a strong self-image. First of all, see yourself the way God does. When you become a child of God by deciding to follow Christ, you have a friendship with someone who loves you. You can count on them. You can count on God. Before that, God is trying to get your attention through his unfailing love. But listen to what Jeremiah 31.3 says. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. The word loving kindness, is it's interesting. It says everlasting love and loving kindness is, is really unfailing love. It's a, it's a love that stoops down and shows kindness. And it never fails. This is how God has loved us. God's love will never cha- change. We can count on it. And this gives us the courage to be honest with ourselves of when we mess up. If you experience it, you, you, you get the, you have the courage. If you turn to God, you find out He's gracious and kind and loving. It gives us courage. And we can aim for an accurate self-image then. We don't always have to keep pumping ourselves up to feel better about who we are. We can gain an accurate self-image, which is really important uh, in Scripture. Romans 12.3 says, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. So what this is saying is, hey, you can be honest, you can get an accurate self assessment. You know, you can you can go ahead and say, hey, I've got holes, I've got problems, I've got strengths, I've got weaknesses. Because that's how you get traction in growing in life. This is this is the way we do it. A defective self-image can put a false ceiling on God's work in and through me. And an accurate picture of who I am before God, what I can do, my strengths and weaknesses, helps me to maximize my effectiveness in life. When I need to, when I blow it, I need to admit it and move on. If I never admit my weaknesses in sin, I never change. I can freely admit my wrong, though, because of God's love, because of his value for me. I know my performance doesn't determine my value. God's love does. In your thought life, when you think about yourself, see. try to see yourself as God does. Next, do right so you'll feel right. Psalm 106.3 says... There's joy for those who deal justly with others and always do what's right. That's how you feel good about yourself. You keep doing right. Self-esteem is a matter of self-respect, really. And if, if you're doing what you know you should do, your self-respect grows. Most of us think, however, when I feel right, I'm going to do right. That's backwards. A key to feeling good about life is to stop doing what you shouldn't and start doing what you should. I like what George Carlin says. Most people with low self-esteem have earned it. That's true. (laughs) That's true. Okay. The third key to a strong self-image is to watch what you say about yourself. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit." Many of the 50,000 thoughts that you and I think each day make up our self-image. Changing how you talk about yourself, how you, what you say to yourself in your mind will change your self-image as fast as anything else. In Proverbs 18.21, we see life and death are in the power of the tongue. We've experienced this as others speak to us, but it's true about our own thoughts as well. The words you mutter to yourself have the power to encourage or discourage, to motivate or deflate, to generate joy or repel it. It's what Tommy Newberry says. It's easy for our thoughts to get stuck on one of the negative themes that I mentioned at the beginning of the message. And we sound like a broken record. This is what a broken record sounds like. Aren't you glad when it gets off of that scratch? You know, I, I used to deal with that. And, you know, once this thing's scratched, it's it's ruined. Once there's that broken record thing, it's gone. This is what it feels like when we get stuck and the thoughts keep coming over and over and over again. God wants us to enjoy life, but he he leaves it to us to change the playlist. That's the modern thing, isn't it? Yeah. We choose our playlist. <laughs> Aren't I up to date? <laughs> he leaves it us to change the record, if you still like LPs, or to change the playlist. We, we, we can choose what we focus on, what our thoughts dwell on. It's up to us to decide. This means I have to tell myself the truth. When I'm feeling worthless, Romans 5, 8 tells me that even though I've sinned, God loves me. Even though I have been sprinting the opposite direction from God, from his ways, he loves me with a love that does not fail. I can tell myself that. I've memorized the passages that I'm going to talk about here right now. I've memorized these. When I'm feeling guilty and ashamed, Romans 8, one says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't have to give in to self-condemnation. Because God has already forgiven me of my, my wrong. When I'm getting into comparison, 2 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13 says, There is no wisdom in that. (laughs) When I'm measuring myself with others and comparing myself with others, there is no wisdom in that. I need to redirect my thoughts to who God says I am. To who he's made me to be. And he values me a tremendous amount. When I'm tempted to get into people-pleasing... I need to remember Proverbs twenty nine twenty five. It's a trap. <laughs> Trying to please people, to live in the fear of the people around me, that is a trap. But whoever trusts in God is kept safe. We win the victory over negative thoughts by replacing them with the truth about God and his love for us. God wants you and I to enjoy the life he's given us. He really does. He leads us away, if we follow him, he leads us away from negative streams of thought and the destructive emotions tied to them. A defective self-image can put a false ceiling on God's work in and through me if I let it happen. I'd like to suggest uh, some next steps as I wrap up the message. Here are a couple of suggestions. My my next step is to memorize Romans 5.8. That is that is a power packed passage. Really easy to memorize, power packed. Uh, another next step could be to build a strong self image by circle one, two, three, see yourself the way God does, do right so you feel right. Um watch what you say to yourself. What as I've been walking through this message. What stood out to you? Circle that. And then we'll ask God to give us the power to, to step out and do it. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your strength that you give. The, the truth that we find in your word that really does give us the right picture of who you are and who we are in light of that. God, I I thank you for the freedom that comes in knowing the truth about you and giving ourselves to live that truth. I I pray, God, that you would would help us to take the steps that you've laid on our heart to take this morning and that you would be honored as we take them. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.